How is everybody? That's good, good. Okay. Hey, um, kia ora. My name is Andre. My uh, wife and I, Hannah, she's on the keys there. Uh, no, that was my sister-in-law. That's awkward. <laughs> to be fair, my wife often is on the piano, but no, that was my sister-in-law. She was on... The, whew, it's got really warm in here. That's embarrassing. She was on the guitar this morning. Oh, sorry. <sighs> I won't be able to make eye contact with my sister-in-law for at least a week. Okay. Hey, um, we lead Cornerstone Church. That's what I was trying to say. Hannah, my wife and I, who was on the guitar this morning, uh, along with a fantastic team. So it's really nice to, uh, to be here this morning with you guys. If I haven't said hello before, kia ora, hello. Hello to those online. It is good to see you. Hey, um, I'm going to push start and we're going to kick things off. We are in uh, part three of a four-part series um, called Then Jesus Said. Can everybody say, Then Jesus Said. There we go. Uh, We've got four communicators communicating stories about where Jesus said some stuff. There's a lot of good stuff uh, that Jesus said. In fact, everything he said was uh, incredible and life-changing and world-changing. And we have been picking some stories where Jesus unpacks some stuff with people. So um, we are going to be doing today John chapter 3. I noticed a bit of a theme in the communicators. We've been um, preaching out of John, not by any... Uh, intent, but just out of, uh, I think it's just random. But here's the thing. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the synoptic gospels. They're a little bit more, this is what happened. This is when it happened. This is who it happened to. Whereas John often will be like, then they felt like this, then this amazing creative thing happened, and then this happened. So we often like to preach from John because there's a lot more emotiveness to it. The other, the other synoptic gospels are fantastic for details and things, but John has some extra stuff in it as well. And this story that we're about to interact with uh, is only found in John. So it's John chapter 3, it's Jesus, and does anyone know who he's interacting with predominantly, in fact, I think solely, in John chapter 3? Nicodemus, yes. So John chapter 3 is about Jesus and Nicodemus. If you're unaware, and I know that in the room today we have people who have, again, been Christians for many years, and we have brand new believers, and we also have people that, you know, might be just in the room and just sort of figuring this God thing out. So my job this morning is to take us through this, and hopefully, if I can ask you to be looking for a truth through this story that you can take away for you. Would that be okay? That's your job this morning, is to look with eyes to see something. Maybe write it down in your phones or write it down on your spouse's hand. I don't know what you want to do. But you can write it down and take it away with you. Okay, that's your job. Give me a nod if you're happy. No, I can't see you. Give me a yes if you're happy to do that. Yes, great. Your job is to take something away. In John chapter 3... I think it would probably be fair to say it within it holds two really interesting things. It's the first time we hear a phrase that if you have been a Christian, you would have heard lots. This is the first time we hear that phrase. We'll get to it shortly. The second thing is a passage of Scripture, which is probably, I think we can probably agree, the most famous piece of Scripture in the Bible. Do you know what I'm, what I'm saying? John 3, verse 1. 16. Many of you will not, not everybody, I know we're on that journey, but if you grew up in the church, like my wife Hannah, 
If you grew up in the church, you would have learned that in preschool and, and in Sunday school and mum singing it to you in bed. Or if you're like me, you got saved much later in life, you would have heard it uh, probably the first few times that you were in church probably. It was something, maybe it might have been the first scripture that you learned. It's John 3, 16. We'll get there shortly. But it's extremely famous, this passage, this passage, this passage, this piece of scripture in this passage. It's super famous. John 3. It changed the world. Now, if you know John 3.16, you'll go, yeah, I can, I can tell it to you off by heart. But do you know the context of it? Do you know the heart behind what Jesus was communicating to Nicodemus? That's my job today. So I'm going to set the scene before we get into the Scripture. A big believer in starting with Scripture but there's a lot of context. I love the word context. When I went to Bible college, it was one of my favorite things, learning about the why stuff happened. And if you know John 3, 16, or if you know John 3, there's a lot of complicated theological and historical context going on. So I'm going to do the best I can. So deep breath, we'll see how we go. But I'm going to try and unpack some of these deep terms. And at, gl- at first glance, We might go, I don't know what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. But my job is to try and help us unpack that and try and take away a couple of points, okay? So you need some context. And the context for John 3 is this. This chap, this guy called Nicodemus, I'm going to talk a little bit about him shortly and give you some details. But in short, he was a Pharisee's. And in fact, he wasn't just a Pharisee's, which was the religious leader of the time. He was actually a Sadducee's which meant he was like the upper echelon of the upper echelon of the religious system. Now, if you don't know, the religious system in first century Israel is almost in, uh, what's the word? It's almost the same thing as government leadership. The church and state are pretty much the same thing. So if you were a religious leader, you were a leader of the community. And it was a very, very highly sought after role. So this guy Nicodemus was in the Sadducees, and if you don't already know, they didn't really like Jesus. Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it or read it, they didn't particularly like Jesus. We're going to unpack that why very shortly. But Nicodemus, he had seen some things. We're in John chapter 3, so presumably between John chapter 1 and John chapter 3, Nicodemus has seen some stuff. In John chapter 2, it says that a whole whole crowd gathered, and they saw the miracles that Jesus did, and they were amazed. So we can presume that based on John, that Nicodemus must have been a part or been in the crowd in John chapter 2 to see the amazing things that Jesus did. Very, very interesting. So who is Nicodemus? I've chosen this uh, photo. Anyone here watch the Chosen series? So he looks familiar to you? This is Nicodemus. So for any images we use from now on, that's not actually Nicodemus. I just want to clarify. Okay, this was 2,000 years ago. We didn't go back in time and take a photo, but this is an actor portraying him. Okay, you get it. But we're going to use this image of Nicodemus, and it's beautiful. I'm going to encourage you a few times today to go and watch um, this scene in The Chosen. And I'll actually put it on our Facebook page, on our members page, so you can see it. Now, some people get a little bit uppity, a little bit upset about Chosen, because what they'll do is they'll take the facts 
Now put it in a storyline, and then they need to add some stuff. I've worked in film and television. You can't just have the facts. You've got to have a storyline. You've got to have an up and a down. So there's a few things that they add, okay? Now, they're not trying to say, we are, this is an exact scriptural reference of this, you know, Hebraic text. No. They're saying, look, this is a creative art form, and we're, we're adding to the characters. So if you're, when you watch it, just watch it with some creativity a creative mindset, not a literal mindset, because they add a few things, which is really interesting. But guess what? They only add stuff that's in the theme of what's happening. So it's really cool. So I encourage you to watch that. Keep an eye out this afternoon. I'll post it up. But Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. He was a teacher. Even Jesus himself calls Nicodemus a teacher. Like if, if Jesus calls you a teacher, you've got to be a teacher. Uh, he was a religious judge and a member of the 71 ruling uh, Sanhedrin assembly. So s- we have to understand that Nicodemus had a high status. His family were incredibly wealthy. He had basically everything and anything he wanted to do, he could get it done. He was your, he, like, if you wanted something done, I don't know, if you wanted a new sewer system out the front of your house, and you knew Nicodemus, he'd be the guy you'd go talk to. He'd make it happen. It would be the equivalent, I think would be fair, he would be the equivalent of something like a health minister or a social justice minister or something like that. He'd be in the top kind of five to ten people ruling the nation, obviously under the Roman rule, but he was, he was very well known. He had a lot of status and he had a lot of position. Now, how many people know when you have a lot, you have a lot to lose? Probably I could say with some firmness that 99% of the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't go and follow Jesus and probably their main reason is because they had a lot to lose. But as we read John chapter 3 in a moment, you're going to see that Nicodemus is a little different than the rest of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He has his eyes open. He doesn't fully understand If you don't take anything else away from today, I want you to know this. You're never going to understand everything about the nature of God. You're never going to understand everything. But if your eyes are open and you're willing to have faith and trust in him, he'll take you a long way. You won't understand everything. That was pretty much the first lesson of Bible college. You're not going to know everything. You're here to learn stuff. You will not learn everything. Okay. Nicodemus would have heard two things before he interacted with Jesus, which we're about about to get into. Number one is he would have seen and heard of miracles. He would have seen Jesus heal people. He would have seen uh, Jesus uh, cast out demons. He would have heard all of the rhetoric through the marketplace. Oh my gosh, did you hear that Jesus did this? He would have heard his teachings. And so he would have seen a big groundswell. And we know that because he says this. The second thing that we know that he must have seen and heard was the backlash because he was in the Sanhedrin. He must have heard everything. He would have heard some of these words about Jesus. He would have heard that he was a false prophet, a traitor, a liar, maybe even a Roman spy. He might have been a deceiver. He was dangerous. But yet, we find at the beginning of John chapter 3 an openness to Jesus. Are you ready to jump into the scripture? 
before we do that, I want to talk about the wall. Everybody say the wall. There's a wall behind us. The wall is this concept where often, I've preached about this about wells and fences, but often as Christians today, and certainly back then as well, what we would do is we would put up walls between people. We'd say, hey, I like this rule, and I like this rule, and I like all my ducks in a row, and I don't like that thing or that person. I'm going to put rules up. I'm going to put laws up. Can I have Mike up for a second, please? Everyone say, hi, Mike. Cool. You can put your hoodie on. Yeah, just leave it there. Perfect. Sometimes you come across people, you look at them, and let's just say, for example, that Mike is a heavily tattooed, bike riding, aggressive, oh, we don't have to imagine too hard. <laughs> Perhaps there is someone that, for whatever reason, I don't particularly align myself with. This happened a lot in first century Israel. If I was even seen uh, hanging out with a quote-unquote sinner, I therefore was a sinner, So there was a lot of separation. There was a lot of boundaries put in place. And so what we did is we'd go, hello, Uh, just stay there for a second. Yeah, great, just stay there. Ah, that's better. (laughs) Don't go over the boundary. And I would sit here and I'd have my wall up and I'd sit and I'd, Stay there. Don't you come over my boundary. And there's rules and there's systems. And if you don't know, the Pharisees and the the, the, uh, Sanhedrin, they put so many hundreds of rules and laws into place. And they basically were saying, look, if if you're born a Jewish person and you go through these rules and and you keep the systems, you keep the walls in place and you keep the dirty Gentiles out, we'll be fine. And so you have to understand that Nicodemus, he was a part of the wall-building structure. He was one of the ones that put the walls in place. And so when he comes to John chapter 3 and comes to Jesus, you need to understand that there were lots of systems in place. Jesus, as we're about to read, has a very different idea. Thank you, Mike. You can take that with you. Pick up your wall and walk. There we go. <laughs> all, um, almost all the other religious re- uh, leaders and rulers are happy within their walls. See, the wall is our human mindset on things. Within its walls, we often hold our position, our standing, our understanding of the world and our position in it. We often build these walls ourselves to make ourselves feel comfortable. I'm going to say something that some of us won't like. We have walls up. I will not talk to those people. They're on the other side of the wall. But as you can probably imagine, Jesus has a different idea. Are you ready to read John chapter 3 with me? Okay, let's go. Let's get into it. See, Jesus' presence, his teaching, and his miracles are wall busters. Nicodemus could have started 
in John chapter 3. Oh, there's our wall, by the way. But something about Nicodemus, as he straddled the wall, he was willing to put both sides on the wall and just have a peek about over what was the other side. Again, another thing that you could take away today, be willing to have your eyes open to see what God is moving. Don't let your preference get ahead of God's precedences. Don't let God, if something new is happening, don't sit there and go, well, we didn't do that in 1972, so I'm going to turn away and look like this. All right. Context of you. Jesus says several times in this piece of scripture, you. He doesn't just mean specifically Jesus, but he is saying like the the royal you, as in the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. So when you hear you, please also imagine that he's talking to the Pharisees, because he represents the Pharisees and Sadducees, Nicodemus. All right, here we go. John chapter 3, verse uh, 3. Now, um, sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night. And he said, deceiver, no, liar, no, Roman spy, no. He'd heard all of these terms. Does anyone remember what he calls him right at the beginning? He calls him rabbi. Already we know that Nicodemus' eyes must have been opened and his heart was open. He came to Jesus that night and he said, rabbi, We know that you are a teacher. The teacher of Israel, the teacher of teachers, being Nicodemus, is calling this random guy a teacher. There is something in his heart that is changing. His eyes are open and you don't give that guy that amount of respect unless you do respect him. Some people think that Nicodemus was a spy. I don't think so. There's enough scripture to back that up. A teacher who has come from God. He says, you must have come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God was not with them. Now we know from Scripture uh, in Thessalonians and in Revelations that there were false teachers and false prophets that did miracles. So we know that happens. But Nicodemus' eyes were open and he's been watching and knowing that only God could have done the stuff that God's done. So he doesn't know who Jesus is. But he does know that God's got to be with him. He's about to find out who Jesus is. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. That seems a bit weird. That's an odd statement. And you know how I said there were two things? John 3, 16. The other time, this is the first time we see the term born again. It's referenced many times later, but this is the first time, and it's from Jesus in John chapter 3. It says, you must be born again. Well, what does that mean? We need to unpack and we need to realize the context. So the context is this, that in ancient uh, Hebraic land in that time, if you wanted to be in relationship with God, all you had to do basically, now there were rules and laws, But you had to just be a part of the Israelite nation, a Hebrew. And as long as you were within that realm, within that that, that pathway, you were in relationship with God. So basically, where does relationship and connection with God start up until this point? 
It's all about birthright. So he would have known that a thousand percent. He would have taught it. It's all about birthright. So to be a good Hebrew and to be in relationship with God is about being a good Jew and being in, having the birthright. And what's the first thing that Jesus says? You've got to be born again. Right to the heart of the matter. Boom. I'm sure Jesus said other stuff in this meeting. How are you? How was your day? Would you like a hot cup of tea? I'm sure. But this is what's recorded. This is the meaty stuff. Do you know what's interesting? So to be in that, that birthright, to be connected, you could get grafted in as a Gentile, right? Like you could, you could have been a, uh, a Greek Gentile and decided that I want to follow God. I want to be a part of this. And so you would have to go through the process, which might have had circumcision involved if you're a male, to get grafted in. But do you know what the Pharisees called you if you were a new Gentile? Does anyone know? The colloquial term was newborn. See, the context is Jesus is speaking directly into it. Directly. It's not about birthright anymore. It's about relationship. First thing Jesus says, Nicodemus would have understood what he was kind of getting at, but this is a pretty revelationary comment. So what does Nicodemus say? He goes, uh, okay, uh, how can someone be born again, Jesus, when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He's confused. He kind of knows what he's saying, but he's like, you're not meaning this. What are you meaning, Jesus? Now, if you watch uh, this, this um, scene I'm going to put on the Facebook page, you'll see, and I think they do a beautiful job, Jesus' heart is for Nicodemus. He's walking with him. He wants him to get it. It's complicated and there's big theological stuff and they, they unpack it really well and they put some scenes and some other bits and pieces and it. it's really beautiful. They cannot be brought again. So Jesus comes back to him again, not out of anger or anything like that. He does say, very truly I tell you, how many people know that when Jesus tells you the same thing twice, you should be listening because you've got two ears. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now there's a lot of ideas about what that means. Some people, some uh, theologians think water means um, uh, the water of birth. You know, you've got to be born and then you get born again by the Spirit. That doesn't kind of make sense because everybody's been born. Some people think it's about the water being Jesus, being the living water. Uh, and then there's probably a good 60% of people believe that when they say you've got to be born of water and spirit, they're talking about baptism, potentially. I'm not going to stand here and say this is exactly what it is, um, but I lean towards it's probably meaning baptism. Jesus himself was baptized. Unless they're born of water and spirit. See, flesh gives f uh, birth to flesh. Physical things give birth to physical things. And then he counters that by saying, but the spirit. The Spirit, first time he mentions that the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. This physical system, this wall you've made, Nicodemus and the Sanhedrin, you as in the big Sanhedrin, that's just a physical thing that you've done. It was meant to help, but it's no longer helpful. What you need is the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit, if you don't know, is God's presence. 
Verse 7, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. This term, this newborn term again in the context was very normal for Nicodemus to hear. And then he says this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Wind blowing. Everybody go. Beautiful. Sounded really awesome. Good job. What he's saying is you put your walls up. You put your religious systems into place. And I'm going to tell you, you have a religious system sitting here in Cornerstone. I have a religious system sitting here in Cornerstone. Some of it's good. Some of it's there to help and guide us. But some of it's not helpful. The best way is just to be connected to the Holy Spirit. His presence walks us and talks us through. So he's saying, Jesus is saying, look, this, you can build your walls, but the wind is still going to blow. The Holy Spirit's going to do what he wants to do. So either get on the train or don't, Nicodemus, but the wind comes and goes, and it's going to whether you like it or not. The wind blows wherever it pleases, he says. You hear its sound. It's like the Holy Spirit. You know he's there. You don't always hear it, but you can feel and see his presence. Jesus is talking about the upside-down kingdom, if you've never heard that. It's this idea where everything who's it's important, everybody who's important up here and the lowly are down here. Well, Jesus says, no, it's not about the, the ruling class and the system and whether you went to rabbinical school or if you did this, it's actually about your heart towards God. Again, he's confused, but his heart is towards him. How can this be, Nicodemus, Nicodemus asked. And then Jesus says, and I don't think he's mocking him, but Nicodemus is the teacher of teachers. He's that guy. And he says, look, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I could just feel, kind of feel his heart behind it going, I'm not angry at you, but I'm just gutted that you guys haven't got this. You put up the system. You're not listening to God's presence. Very, 11, very truly, third time he says, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. When I got saved at 17, I, um, I had a big falling out with my very best friend, Matt. And um, I saw him three years later. And he known, he'd, he'd found out I'd become a Christian. And we were sitting down one day. We'd kind of tried to reconnect. And I'd been talking to him for some time, not necessarily about God's stuff. And he said this to me. I have never, ever seen any better evidence that God exists than you sitting in front of me. Which is a pretty high compliment. I mean, we used to do drugs together and chase girls and all of that stuff. And I looked at him, I said, okay, Matt, that's awesome. Only, if you'd known me beforehand, <laughs> I said, only God could have done the redemption of my life. What are you, Matt, going to do about that revelation? Because he said the best evidence that God exists is you. And he said, I, I have to say to myself, there's got to be a God. And I said, what are you going to do about that? And he looked at me in the eye and paused and he said, nothing. I said, why? And he said, I don't know, man. I, 
I don't want to be a Christian. I, I, I'm, something's going on there, but I don't want to look at it, quote unquote, is what he said. So we know from the book of Acts, amazing miracles happened. And the book of Acts says, they saw it with their own eyes and turned their backs. Testimony's awesome, but if you've got a hardened heart, you will not see it for what it is. We need soft hearts. Seeing is not enough if your heart is guarded by walls. We know that, that people have seen it. And Jesus is saying, you've seen this stuff happen. I'm telling you what has happened, and yet you will still not believe. You are in the dark, and you're not willing to come into the light. And Jesus talks about darkness and light. I'm going to skip. Here we go. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but still, you people... Do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and yet you do not believe them. You don't follow them. How then will, I, will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? He says, you know, like you, Sanhedrin, you guys are trying to criticize me. And you're basically saying here, hey, look, I think you're, I don't know what you're trying to say. Maybe you should try and say this even. And I just remember this old quote. I put it up here. Maybe it's for someone. I'm not too sure. But there's this old quote that says, don't, uh, don't take criticism from someone who you're not willing to take advice from. And I just thought of that when I was sitting there thinking about Nicodemus and Jesus and more about the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. But if that's for you today, I hope you take that away. I, I, you know, like all leaders, you lead and people give you criticism. And I, I really value that. I mean, I'll always listen to everybody, but if, I'm not, if I don't value that person's opinion in my life to build me up and to encourage me, I'm probably not going to listen to that person to rip me down and tear me to shreds. Perhaps you shouldn't either. If they've got a value on their life, there's, there's a lot of people in this room, if you came to me and said, hey, I've got an issue with you, I would listen. And I hope that you guys would too. Okay. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, Jesus, knowing that Nicodemus knew what was this verse he's about to quote from Moses, um, from Exodus, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. A couple of really interesting things. So he's talking about the time that the Israelites were getting bitten and attacked by snakes. So God tells Moses to get a rod, a bronze rod of a snake, And all they had to do was look upon this, and they were healed. Nicodemus would have known that story inside out. He's saying, if you look to me, there's healing. The other cool thing is he said, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. If you didn't know, Nicodemus pops up two more times in the book of John. We know that he saw Jesus get lifted up on a cross. Isn't that interesting? Everyone who believes in me may have eternal life in him. We're getting to the big one. Everybody, deep breath. John 3, 16 is coming up. That everyone who believes in me, uh, believes may have eternal life in him. This is the shot in, uh, in the chosen. I'm not getting paid by chosen. Don't worry, I'm not trying to, you know, <laughs> get a, a percentage of the subscription. I just think it's really cool. And they're there, and they're talking. 
And you get the heart that Nicodemus is really, sorry, Jesus is trying so hard with Nicodemus. Understand, understand, the promised Messiah is here. Your systems and your rules, and I know, I know you would lose everything if you followed me, but hey, please know, let me tell it, let me tell you as basic and as clear as possible. Are you ready, Nicodemus? Are you ready? I love you. Please understand. You know God as a ruler and as an authoritarian, but I'm going to start something for you in your heart. For God loved the world. God loved the world. Nicodemus would have, in his mind, I'm sure, went, no, no, you mean, <clears throat> you mean Hebrews, right? Jesus, no, God, for God so loved the world. That's the context that John 3, 16, it's this conversation between two guys that he'd come in the dark, he'd gone against everything. Do you think Nicodemus is risking everything, even being seen talking to Jesus? Of course he is. And we see this strict, this firm, this stoic leader of leaders go from this to a man whose heart is breaking at the idea that perhaps his systems and perhaps religion isn't actually the answer after all. Maybe it's relationship with the man he's sitting across the table with. And he starts. In that beautiful context, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Wall-shattering statement. If you know the story, I would guess, this is my opinion, but I don't know if the wall shattered right there and then, but a brick fell out. You know when something like pulls on your shirt or something, and you, you see like a, one little thing that's out of place or a brick is loose, you give it a good wiggle, and then it all starts to wiggle loose. And there's a wiggling loose that starts to happen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For, those, for any of those who will believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I know a lot of you know this. This wasn't just said so it could be written on a, on a sticker on the back of your car. This was written out of a deep desire for someone to understand. This is as simple as Jesus could say it. He went complicated, and he went through all of the different layers about being born again, and the wind, and the Holy Spirit, and something about a snake. And then he comes back and he says, look at me. God loved the world that he gave his only son. Verse 17, for God did not send his son himself into this world to condemn the world. You're all worried that I'm going to condemn you but to save the world through him. He's not given Nicodemus everything yet because he's not using the word me, is he? He's saying him. He's like, come on, figure this out, figure this out. And Nicodemus is, is wrestling. 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I can only imagine that Nicodemus' world was turning upside down. What he understood and what's being communicated to him are two different things. 
and we're getting to the end. This is the verdict. Interesting term. Sanhedrin were judges. He would have known this word. This is the verdict, Nicodemus. Light has come into this world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You love your walls. You love your little systems you've built up. But that's not what we're talking about. There's light and there's darkness. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. I think at the heart of it, absolutely, Jesus is right. He's saying to Nicodemus, you know that if you've gone through all of these little systems and rules and bits and pieces, that somewhere along the line you've come off and you've made a mistake. And you're worried and you're freaking out that I'm saying, hey, look, I might be the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And light is here. And there's this, there's this freaking out. For those of you who are believers, you'll know what I'm talking about when someone says, you're at the water cooler, and they're like, hey, Brian, what'd you do over the weekend? G'day, Horatio. Yeah, well, um, I went to church on Sunday. I was good. Something funny happened with the pastor. He said his sister-in-law's name instead of his wife. Oh, that was a bit awkward. Anyway, Brian's over here, and he goes, do you say church? He's like, yeah, I love church. And then you all know what happens next. You get this. Anyone know what I'm talking about? The awkwardness. Oh, you have a relationship with God. Ooh, I feel awkward. It's awesome on a plane. Really good. They can't go anywhere. I had a 40-minute conversation with a guy who thought I was a, quote, plasterer. Very confused. He was like, how is a plasterer working with youth? I was like, no, pastor. My Kiwi accent. So you guys know what I'm talking about. 21, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. You've darkened your whole space by these walls so that it may be seen plainly what they have done and has been done in the sight of God. Okay. As far as we know, that's the end of the conversation. Nicodemus got to the end of his tea and went, I'm going to have to go home and process some of this. Some quick takeaway points for you. They're not numbered, but I'm just going to go through it. Jesus paints this picture for Nicodemus. You can either take a photo or write these down if it's helpful. He's telling Nicodemus in a very simple way, I'm not interested in your religion. I'm interested in relationship with you. I'm not interested in your systems and how you do things because that's the way it's always been done. I just want you to want me. I want you to be in relationship with me. I think the next really interesting thing is that faith in God is a journey. It's a journey. Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, we see him in John 3. But you know what? He's not stagnant. You ready? Look at John. There he is. And he's positioned towards God. He's moving on a journey. And you could say, well, I don't know if that's true, Pastor. We've just seen him have his cup of tea, have a weird conversation about the wind, and now he's gone. Well, actually, if you didn't know, Nicodemus pops up again in John, in John chapter 7, where the Sanhedrin is saying, let's kill Jesus. 
Let's just decide to kill him right now. And Nicodemus, with everything to lose, stands up in front of the Sanhedrin and reminds them, hey, don't we have a law by Moses that if we're going to convict someone to death, that they have the right to come up and talk about it and to stand witness and to, and to uh, disagree with this um, action towards them? And they all bit his head off and said, no. I'm pretty sure we could all imagine some of the other Sanhedrin going, did you see that? All right, let's write down Nicodemus's name right here. He's in the naughty book. But that's not where he stays. Nicodemus pops up one more time. John chapter 19. Ah, so there, wait, he's running, but he takes a stand. In John chapter 19, we read this. Uh, Later, this is after Jesus had been killed on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. He was a, um, a secret disciple of Jesus. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Um, Joseph of Arimathea, he gave his tomb, super expensive tomb, in his own private garden, um, cemetery garden. Verse 39, look who pops up. He was accompanied by... Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus bought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And they took the body as was custom and wrapped it. Aloes and myrrh are extremely expensive. I'm not sure what the equivalent would be. Bitcoin, I don't know. It was expensive. It's estimated that the price of 75 pounds of pure aloe and myrrh right now would be about 200,000 US dollars. They think, um, theologians and historians think, that basically the value of this was a hundred years' salary for your average first century Jewish laborer. A hundred years' salary. Do you know what I know about generosity? Real and pure generosity only comes from love. So if we see generosity, we can go back to the root of it and find love. He gave everything. Can you imagine his heart? Oh my gosh, Lord, what have I done? You are and you were who you said you were. I don't know what this means, but there's some guilt in me. I want to I honor you with everything. Again, the historians say that 75 kgs of this stuff um, would have been more than excessive for a king. He basically emptied every bank account he had. The last thing he could possibly do, he wanted to honor Jesus. You do not do that unless you believe who Jesus said he was. It's cool to see him pop up. So here's the thing we know. Uh, this is a, um, an oral thing that has been said about Nicodemus for many years, a very costly burial for a very costly death. Nicodemus, Nicodemus showed us our journey to God is not stagnant. I had the beautiful privilege a couple of weeks ago in our Cornerstone Leadership Development Program to hear a couple of testimonies 
of two people who in the last couple of years have turned their hearts towards God. And guess what? They didn't go to sleep one night and wake up with wings and rainbows and go, thus saith the Lord speaking in tongues. That's not what happened. It was a journey. Little step, little step, little step. Nicodemus shows us that there are steps. Jesus shows us that Nicodemus, that the walls he had built were not God's plan. And he popped one through. And another. And another. Till eventually in John chapter 9, he's broken down that wall. We don't know the rest of the story about Nicodemus. Who would love to know what happened? Like, what happened after John chapter 19? What did he do? We also see through Nicodemus that Christ so loves us. Can I have the worship team up, please? Christ honors and takes time with a searching heart. If you're here this morning, you're on a journey, you're trying to understand this God thing, God's not expecting you to jump from A to Z. He just wants you to take little steps towards Him. Maybe your great aunt Maud, who's super religious with all her walls, maybe she expects you to do, you know, turn from this to that, to drop all of the issues and addictions and problems you have. That's a journey. Leave that up to the Holy Spirit. But if you're willing to say yes to God, yes every day, you're going to be on an amazing journey. Like the wind that comes and goes, so does the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does what He wants to do and He knows Who would rather be led by rules and systems designed by humans or by the one true living God, His presence? Okay, one of you. Not a trick question. Rules and systems by the presence of God. Me too. Why don't we stand? I have two questions for you today. Just two simple questions. This is great information. Thank you, Lord. But we need application for transformation, not just information. My first question, are we, are you still searching and growing like Nicodemus? Or, deep breath, or have you reached all knowledge and wisdom like the Pharisees? I'm going to guess, like me, I still want to learn and grow. Who wants to learn and grow? What are you doing about your growth? Will you have to make a hard stand? Will you have to be like Nicodemus and stand in front of your peers and defend someone? Will you be like Nicodemus and give away almost everything you have? So my question for you is, what do you need to do in this growth journey? Miracles don't always happen in the boat. There's a faith step involved. Growing requires action. Second question, do you live a life led by the Holy Spirit? We need to live a life led by the Holy Spirit. This is my opinion. 
But if you love God, you have a heart for God, but you just want to stick to the rules, stick to the systems, this is my opinion. I'm sure there is, you've got, if you genuinely love God, I'm sure there's a space and a place for God, uh, for you in God's kingdom. But He wants relationship with you. He wants you to daily hand over everything to Him. So my first question is what do you need to do in that growth journey? And the second one is, are you being led by the Spirit? What I know about being led by the Holy Spirit is it doesn't mean Pentecostalism. It can look like anything. It's God's presence with us, being led by God's presence. Can we close our eyes just for a moment? We're about to sing a song. I really on my heart this morning. I woke up at five, full of beans, which must have been the Lord. And um, I really felt on my heart this morning to put a challenge, a gentle, loving, caring challenge. Know Jesus today? Do you know Jesus? You might know the laws and the rules and the systems, or maybe you don't even know that. Would you be willing to say yes to God in a space today? Just go, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm willing. I've tried everything else. I'm willing to just say yes to you. So, with every eye closed, if right now, if that's you in the room, no one's looking. I would love for you to just think about that for a second. And like growing, it requires an action. I would like you to just gently and quietly, no one's looking just to raise your hand for me right now with eyes closed. Awesome. So good. I see those hands. Amazing, amazing. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. For whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but my life is not perfect. I need altering. If you just feel in your spirit there's something you need altered, you want to just remove a wall, you want to remove a religious brick, during this song, I encourage you to come. I don't know if we'll get to pray for everybody, but I just think there's an, uh, there's truth in just stepping into something. There's an, something the Holy Spirit can do when you take a growth step. So as we sing and as we worship God, if that's you, I'd like you to be brave. Maybe you wanted to make a decision to follow Jesus today, come on up. If there's a religious thing in you you want to let go, come on up. And we've got leaders and we've got some of the CLDP people, we will pray for you. And for the rest of us, why don't we just pray for those people and why don't we just worship God? God is good.